Chapter Nine of Neighbours by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Reverend Silas Pettibone, attired in his second best preaching clothes, dedicated to parish visiting and rainy day funerals, bent to kiss his wife goodbye. He was not a demonstrative man, and heretofore his caresses had been of a sparse and meagre nature, commensurate with the dignified reserve of his character but there was something about the glorified face of his wife in these early days of her motherhood which seemed to draw kisses as the sun is said to draw water when it sends earthward long luminous rays from behind an effulgent cloud curtain mrs pettibone was wearing the blue negligee adorned with cascades of white lace upon which malvina bennett had lavished the pent-up poetry of her lone maidenhood she looked very small and delicate in the shabby old rocking-chair and no one but the most discerning would have identified the inert flannel bundle in her arms as a real live baby i suppose i ought to put him down the minute he goes to sleep she apologized having accepted his kiss with the slight tinge of maidenly embarrassment she had never quite lost according to the book my dear you should put him down before he goes to sleep offered Mr. Pettibone, drawing on his gloves. "'You're looking remarkably sweet today, Miss Fuliora,' he added, with the total irrelevance she'd noticed in him of late. She blushed becomingly. "'But if he should cry,' she temporised, "'haven't you learned by this time that it is the inalienable right of the infant to cry?' he asked. "'How else shall he strengthen his lungs, expand his diaphragm, and kittens don't cry she said stoutly nor nice little roly-poly puppies nor little birds their mothers cuddle them all the while and feed them whenever they like a cat a dog or a fowl of the air in any stage of its existence he reminded her gravely could hardly be compared with a human being but she merely cuddled the flannel bundle closer and murmured something in which he caught the words precious lamb as for sheep and their offspring he went on still argumentatively one should really silas she interrupted him did you pay miss malvina for making this wrapper did i pay miss malvina he rumpled his hair i have no remembrance oh let me recall miss bennett brought that very becoming garment to the parsonage the day of the advent when such trifles as clothes and money were far from my thoughts as far i venture to say as from jacob the morning after he had wrestled with the angel and received his new name no my dear i did not pay miss malvina then won't you go there to-day silas do you know i'm afraid poor miss malvina is being quite cut out by the new dressmaker the new dressmaker um i was not aware over trimmer's store don't you remember we were going to call only i oh yes yes i fear i have laid myself open to a charge of neglect of parochial duties during these last weeks but now that you are now that i have you safe 
and the baby she put in touching her lips to the fraction of a downy head which peeped out from the blankets oh the baby of course <laughs> now that i have you both quite safe and reasonably established in health i must and there is the new family in my house too and mrs salter with another of her spells oh, quite right quite right my dear now if you will allow me to bestow our son in his crib i will go you should rest till tea-time he left her rather hastily at last having inadvertently waked up the baby who began at once to exercise his inalienable human rights as differentiated from the animal creation he decided to call upon the new dressmaker first after looking in for a moment upon brother george trimmer in his place of business though not a shrewd man in the secular sense the minister had not infrequently been led to meditate upon the singular metamorphosis which came over various members of his flock at the dawning of the sabbath on a sunday morning elder trimmer was invariably to be found in his pew in church attired sombrely in a long-tailed coat once decreed by fashion as the habit of a worldly society and now by universal consent the garb of piety with his sunday clothes brother trimmer in common with other members of mr pettibone's congregation habitually assumed an expression of superior sanctity when he walked down the aisle with the collection plate and when he stood before the pulpit awaiting the minister's benediction on the perfunctory pennies and nickels representing Innisfield's benevolent impulses, the beholders could scarcely help but notice the sleekness with which his sparse hair had been brushed, the whiteness of his starched linen, and the solemn squeak of his Sabbath shoes. Elder George Trimmer was an indispensable pillar in the house of his God, and he knew it without his support and presence the cause in innisfield would assuredly languish if not completely collapse the knowledge of this fact lent force and cogency to his utterances more particularly when he conversed with his pastor on the present occasion mr trimmer was entrenched behind his desk when mr pettibone called and from this stronghold he vouchsafed the briefest of nods and an inarticulate growl of recognition i see you're busy brother trimmer said the minister politely i will call again mr trimmer waved his hand with some impatience oh sit down sit down sir he said i'll see you in a minute i've something to say to you mr pettibone declined to avail himself of the indicated chair oh i have a small commission for mrs pettibone he recollected i'll attend to that first if you please the minister's experienced eye had caught sight of a new clerk in the shoe department as he threaded his way among the bargain-laden tables in the aisles he continued to examine the face of the stranger the young man unaware of his approach stood with folded arms staring at the wall of yellow shoe-boxes which confronted him but it was evident to the most casual observer that his attention was not focused upon the stock of footwear in the trimmer dry-goods emporium it was a handsome though rather sullen face with sternly compressed lips and a deep fold between the grey eyes 
which turned in response to Mr. Pettibone's question. Slippers? Yes, sir. What size? Oh, uh, something soft and becoming. In a light blue, particularized Mr. Pettibone. Ah, for a lady, inferred the young man. What size did you say, sir? Oh, uh, oh as to that, I'm afraid I neglected to inquire. The lady is small and slender. Better have the lady come in and try them on, sir, if you don't know the size. Mr. Pettibone shook his head. Oh, that would be impossible for some weeks yet, I fear. The lady is... Uh, <clears throat> at present she is unable to leave the house. Why not bring in one of the lady's shoes, then? suggested Mr. Trimmer's clerk, scanning his customer with faint amusement. You are a stranger in Innisfield, I believe, interpolated Mr. Pettibone. I don't remember to have seen you before. Haven't been here long, admitted the young man. His brooding eyes sought a distant window, with an expression vaguely suggestive of a wild creature unexpectedly trapped. Ah, permit me to introduce myself, said the minister pleasantly. I'm Mr. Pettibone, pastor of the Presbyterian Church here. We shall be glad to make you welcome. Uh, what was your last place of residence? The young man hurriedly replaced the cover on a half-open box. London, he replied briefly. Oh, indeed, commented the minister. Oh, I recall call there is a town by that name in a neighbouring county am i to understand the handsome sullen face flushed darkly i mean england he jerked out i was born there well well exclaimed mr pettibone with unaffected surprise we are all interested, rather particularly interested, I may say, in your native land at this time. Are you... Uh, you have been here some time, I suppose? A matter of six months, replied the young man. The dark flush had crept up to the roots of his hair. He stared defiantly at Mr. Pettibone. Then you don't care to buy anything today, sir? This was clearly a rebuff, but the minister, inured to reprisals of the kind, persevered. I should be glad of your name and address. Uh, I'll look at those slippers again in, in just a moment. You will perhaps know what size small ladies usually wear. The minister had taken a notebook and pencil from his pocket and stood waiting with the smile many people found quite irresistible. The young Englishman shrugged his shoulders. My name's Hobbs, he said unwillingly. Kitchener Hobbs. Mr. Pettibone, glancing up quickly, caught the look which accompanied the simple statement. It puzzled him. Named for the great soldier, eh? Oh, sad thing for England, his death. Very unfortunate, it would seem. And your address? I live upstairs with my mother. With your mother? Oh, I was not aware. Mr. Hobbs showed no lively interest in Mr. Pettibone's bewilderment. He had pulled down and opened several boxes containing felt slippers. Something like this, sir, 
he inquired civilly enough in size three maybe or four mr pettibone restored his memorandum book to his pocket and focused his short-sighted eyes upon a pair of pale blue slippers adorned with fluffy pom-poms and a lavish display of satin ribbon hmm these look about the thing he said measuring the dainty trifle thoughtfully upon his outspread palm her feet are slender and not much larger than a child's you say your mother um mrs hobbs am i right she calls herself madame louise growled the young fellow she's a dressmaker oh yes yes oh, now i place you said mr pettibone as he searched his pockets for a certain thin roll of bills he appeared not to notice the extreme reluctance of the reply yet all the while he was keenly aware of it and of the deepening of the frown between the sombre young eyes now why the minister asked himself as he strode away the pale blue slippers safely bestowed in his pocket why should this young man secure from the perils and hardships of war and one would say reasonably well placed in business and for what does he wear the look of a soul tormented End of chapter 9